1 and Cosmic 2 in that book. But for right now, we're just going to deal with it very simplistically. Cosmic 1 is characterized by arrogance. Arrogance. It is characterized by self-absorption. Man asserts his own autonomy. He is the final source, the final measure of all truth. Cosmic 2 promotes antagonism and hatred to God, hostility towards God. Cosmic 2 is antagonistic to the plan and purposes of God. So we can just summarize it that Cosmic 1 is arrogance, personal autonomy, and Cosmic 2 is characterized by antagonism and promotes anything that is hostile to God's plan, purposes, and program. So this can run the gamut from anything that is religious, and much of religion is antagonistic to God. Much that goes under the guise of Christian religion is antagonistic to biblical Christianity. It can run the gamut from from religion to anti-religion, atheism, polytheism, pantheism, and and secular philosophy, secular humanism, existentialism, idealism. All of these basic thought systems are antagonistic to God. So we have cosmic one and cosmic two. Now, point number four. From the vantage point of these thought systems and religious systems and physical and philosophical systems, Satan seeks to control the thinking of the human race. That's his agenda. Satan has a specific strategy in mind. The scripture talks about the wiles of the devil. That Satan has a specific strategy and he seeks to control the thinking of mankind and he does it through these various philosophies and religious systems. He knows, whether we recognize it or not, that we are involved in a war, the stakes are high, and if he wins, he controls planet Earth. And that's his goal, to prove that he can control planet Earth and that he is worthy of the title of the God of this age. So he seeks to control the thinking of the human race through all of these various thought systems, religious systems, and philosophical systems. So he is therefore continuously propagandizing the human race with his ideas and concepts about the nature of reality. Now, let's bring that down. He is continually propagandizing us about the nature of reality, whether that reality applies to um, uh, law, to politics, to marriage, to family, to how relationships work, to problem-solving, whatever it may be, Satan has his system in place that looks like it works and is very attractive to us because, remember, we operate on the earth with an enemy within us, a traitor within us called the sin nature that is attracted to this cosmic system. So it has an affinity to this cosmic system. And so we don't have to do anything to pick up cosmic thinking. It just it attract, It's attracted to it like a magnet to iron filings. So if you just let it go, you're naturally going to just suck up cosmic thinking. And if you think of, of truth and the truth in your soul like a house, What you've got outside the house is a hurricane blowing and all these winds of false doctrines and false ideas are constantly putting pressure on that house, seeking loose spots, seeking cracks and crannies where that wind can drive in and put pressure on your thinking to shape it and mold it in terms of the value system and the ideas of Satan's cosmic systems. 
So there's constant pressure. That's this propaganda I'm talking about. Satan is constantly flying over and dropping leaflets on your house, presenting all kinds of attractive things to you that are very appealing to your sin nature. And if you don't know how to answer those things, and if you're picking them up and reading them, then you're constantly being pushed and pressured. And the thing is, we're not consciously aware of all the different ways in which Satan is trying to shape and mold our thinking. And that's why we have to be cognitively aware of what these ideas are around us so that we can spot them and guard against them. And we do that through learning doctrine. Doctrine is what gives us the discernment to spot these things. So point number three was the cosmic thinking operates in two arenas. One is that which promotes arrogance, self-absorption, where man becomes the ultimate source of authority and knowledge, and cosmic two promotes antagonism and hostility to God. Point number four was that from the vantage point of these thought systems and religious systems, Satan tries to control the thinking of the human race. Now, there are certain things that are, going, that are always going to be prevalent here, either overtly or behind the scenes. There are going to be concepts about the ultimate nature of reality. What is the ultimate reality in the universe? And we see this historically. This will include everything from ancient mythologies, which tried to explain the ultimate forces in the universe, from the gods of Olympus to wind, earth, air, fire, all of these various things that came out of, for example, that was part of, I think it was Anaximenes, he was a pre-Socratic uh, Greek thinker. And you go back to the Enuma Elish in uh, ancient Babylonian, they're trying to explain where the earth came from. In the beginning there was uh, uh, Tiamat and Marduk and the wars between the gods, and then uh, Marduk destroys Tiamat and cuts up her body, and part of it forms the heavens and part of it forms the earth. All of these are explanations of the ultimate nature of reality. Now you think, well, that's ancient thought, ancient mythology. But what's the difference between that and, let's take, for example, the Star Wars epic. Now, I love Star Wars. I love certain categories of science fiction. I've always enjoyed the Star Trek series, and I've always enjoyed the Star Wars series. Other people don't like science fiction. That's fine. I'm just saying that because I'm not saying you can't, at some level, enjoy these things as entertainment. But you can't go as as a Christian and not think about the fact that you are being propagandized with cosmic thought and cosmic systems of thinking. For example, that's an epic. The whole Star Wars series presents an epic view. George Lucas has created a, an alternative universe in which he has everything from a religious system and a creator, which is the force, to an ethical system and a value system and what works in terms of relationships and and how, how all of this has worked out because there's certainly evolutionary schemes operating throughout. And all of this is behind the scenes. It's not overtly stated, but it's all there. And you have kids that listen to these, to, to, to uh, uh, a Star Wars movie and watch it 30, 40, 50, 60 times, and they don't realize that they are being propagandized with this view. And if you don't know that, you're, you're going to be influenced to some degree. I don't mean that somebody's going to watch you is going to go out and become a samurai warrior. Incidentally, if you don't know it, I watched George Lucas in an interview on PBS a number of years ago say that he specifically modeled the entire uh, mystical framework of the Star Wars series 
on the uh, mystical religion of the samurai warriors, and that's a religious system. So he is indeed covertly promoting a religious view, and that's there. And we need to wake up to the fact that anything and everything produced by people in the world is going to, at some level, promote some view of cosmic thinking. And we just need to be aware of it. That doesn't mean we run and hide. I'm not suggesting we erect walls, turn off our televisions, never go to movies, never read books. I'm not at all suggesting that. But I'm suggesting that when we have these things, not just to be sucked into the idea that it's just entertainment, but to realize there's more there than just entertainment. So they have these mythologies, and you see this in Star Trek, you see it in, in a lot of science fiction, will create a universe according to the views of the author. And that presents a lot of religious concepts in there. So Satan is constantly putting pressure on us to try to influence people to think about reality different from the way God God has defined reality. Point number five, in our recent study we have examined postmodernism which is the term that's used to describe modern culture today. And we said that, that the cult, primary cultural thinking from about 1600 to the, about demarcation lines 1960 would be called modernism. And we went over various characteristics of modernism, one of which was that it puts a tremendous amount of emphasis on human reason, that ultimately... Human reason is autonomous or independent, and man, on the basis of reason alone, can construct a perfect view of reality, and from that view of reality, construct a view of the family, a view of the home, a view of law, a view of nations, uh, that will bring order and stability to, to life. And that if we follow that, we can solve the problems of the world. The problem is that more and more philosophers promoted various systems of of, uh, rationalism and empiricism based on modernism and it always ended up in the fact that you can't really know for sure. When you get to ultimate realities, you can't have any certainty of knowledge. Now, if you can't know for sure if there's any meaning in life or any value, then that's very depressive and oppressive. And so that gave rise to certain very negative philosophies such as nihilism and existentialism. But man can't live on the basis of this hopelessness, that there really is nothing beyond us, that everything's just raw chance. There's no real basis for eternal uh, value systems because as uh, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, God has set eternity in man's hearts. So there's always this leap of faith. There's got to be something. Man yearns for something of meaning, of value that gives that gives meaning and value to life. And so what has happened in recent years is that man has set up this, we'll just call it, use the term fantasy, although not all fantasy fits this category, but more like science fiction, where there's creations of alternative universes that provide a whole metaphysical system for explaining reality. And out of these uh, cosmologies or cosmogonies that are presented in these science fiction scenarios, you have a a God, you have a universe, you have problem-solving techniques. All of these things 
are presented within that structure. So you can watch uh, something like uh, Star Wars or Star Trek, and you can, and they've done this. Some of these people who are just uh, uh, obsessive with these stories have have uh, developed entire uh, systems r- relative to what they has come across in these um, in these science fiction scenarios. Now, if you don't think that people like Ray Bradbury and uh, uh, Arthur C. Clarke, who did the 2001 uh, movie Bradbury, let's see, who are some others, uh, Gene Roddenberry for one, do not have a specific agenda, then you have not read very deeply about these men or thought very much about them. Roddenberry, several years ago, this was in the late 80s, I think it was Volkswagen, I'm not sure who, I think it was Volkswagen, I know it was an automobile manufacturer, ran a series of advertisements on the inside cover, very slick advertising campaign, on the inside cover of Time magazine. And it was a fold-out advertisement. And inside the fold-out you saw the picture of the car, and then there was some short paragraph written by somebody who was sort of a futurist who made some comment about some optimistic comment about the future of mankind. And Roddenberry's comment went something like this. I look forward to the time when the human race no no longer believes that there is one... No, where, 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 something like this, that where the human race believes, no longer believes that there is just one right economic system, just as we have relegated to antiquity all of those people who think that there was one correct religious system. And so these people have an agenda. They're anti-Christian. They do not believe that there are any absolutes. And they definitely let their worldview be displayed in their, in their uh, entertainment, in their movies, etc., and so we need to realize that this comes across and just to be alert to it. I'm not saying don't go to these things. I'm not offering some sort of legalistic uh, analysis here that you just don't ever do this and you can't be a Christian if you do. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we need to learn to think because we're bombarded continually. We're propagandized by Satan with all sorts of ideas day in and day out and we need to have our radar up so we can catch these things as they're coming in. Let's look at a big biblical example of this. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now one of the greatest areas of marketing for these kinds of fantasy stories and this science fiction is to children. And your children are targeted with this and if your parents you have a tremendous responsibility to develop that radar screen for your children. They're not born with it. The only thing they're born with is a natural affinity to any system that is anti-God. It's your job as a Christian parent, especially the fathers, because the Scripture says, Fathers, it is your responsibility to raise up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It is your responsibility to teach them doctrine so that they can erect these radar screens for themselves. Now, let's go back to our analogy. There's a war going on. You're right in the middle of the war. In fact, your mind is what's at stake. More than that, the mind of your children. 
is what's at stake. And Satan is constantly propagandizing you and your children. Now, you hopefully have been listening to some doctrine for a while, and you've developed a grid for, of discernment so that you can filter this stuff. But your kid has no such grid. That's your job as a parent is to make sure they develop that grid. The enemy is continually dropping these propaganda leaflets in your front yard. Now, you may go out and you may pick them up and you may read it and laugh. But your children don't know enough to laugh. They may go out and if you say, okay, it's okay to read this, by analogy, you can watch whatever you want to on television. You have all kinds of shows that have uh, come out over the years. You have everything from He-Man to Power Rangers to all these morphing things to now you've got Iron Giant and Pokemon and all of these things. And it's not that any one of these things that if your kid watches it, your child is going to turn up to be a mass murderer and go into some satanic cult. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the accumulation, the cumulative effect uh, of constantly being pounded by this kind of propaganda it ha- has its impact on the way our culture thinks and on the way your children think. It, think. It's called gradualism, and we'll get to that in a minute. But let's look at what's going on here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's the scenario. This is Moses' last words to the Israelites before they go into the land. And they're going to enter this land that is peopled by the Canaanites who have this vast pantheon of gods and goddesses. They have this entire cosmogony built on, the fa- built on their mythological religious beliefs and how everything ultimately came from chaos. Sounds very similar to modern evolutionary theory. And there's all these wars between the gods and if you can get the right god on your side, you're going to have prosperity and success in life. For example, it's an agrarian culture. As we've got an agrarian culture around here, it's not quite as agrarian as there was. Everything in their culture depended upon fertility. And so it depended on not only on the rains that you received and the amount of sunlight you got, but when you got it. So the thing to do was to find some way to manipulate the gods into providing the right kind of rainfall and sunshine at the right time. And so you had the development after Noah's flood, as man rejected God, you had the development in the ancient world of what was called fertility religions or the phallic cult. It's the, and, and it was all symbolized in a very sexual relationship within the, either in the high places with the Asherah, and there were various uh, prostitutes, male prostitutes, female prostitutes that were associated with the worship of these gods. And, for example, a man... And a farmer, in order to secure the uh, fertility of his farm during the next year, would at the proper times go to the temple and he would uh, take one of the temple prostitutes and go off and have sex with her. And that was to guarantee, uh, because she represented Baal, who was the god of thunder and fertility and lightning and things related to that, and this would then guarantee fertility for his crops during the next year. And so you're going to learn how to... That's problem-solving. That's a problem-solving device in fertility religions. Think about it. What's the biggest problem you're going to face? Whether or not I'm going to have income and food next year. So how do I solve my problem? I go out... So every religious system has its problem-solving techniques. Now, this culture of the Israelites is getting ready to... to, uh, The Israelites are getting ready to invade this 
fertility religion dominated culture of Canaanites and by this time they are as perverted a people as there could possibly be and God is going to use the Israelites to judge them and God's intent is to wipe their society completely off the face of the earth but they don't do that but God has a prescription to preserve Israelite society from the propaganda the cosmic thinking of uh, Satan's cosmic system at that time was Canaanite fertility religion it was based on arrogance and it was antagonistic to God. So you see the twin poles of cosmic thinking evidenced in, uh, in Baal worship and the fertility worship. And so when they go in, when the Israelites are now in the land, they are going to come under pressure to be like everybody else and to live like everybody else and to worship the Baalim and the Asherah, and to engage in all the fertility cults. Now, we know what happened. They didn't obey God, and they did that. And because of that, God judged them many, many times And as they got involved in all the phallic worship. But listen to the divine antidote. I want you to pay attention to this in Deuteronomy 6.4. This is a very famous verse in, in Judaism. It's called the Shema because the first word is the Hebrew word Shema, which in the imperative mood, which means to listen. Pay attention. Listen, O Israel. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. Now, literally, I think that can be translated. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is a unit, a unity. So it implies the unity of the Trinity there. Verse 5. And you shall love the Lord your God. That has to do with priority. You're going to make the Lord your God your relationship because love implies a personal relationship you're going to make your personal relationship with God the highest priority. It takes priority over everything else. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, we've studied that concept under the principle of personal love for God. It means that you make Bible doctrine the number one priority in your life. Not just learning it, not just being in Bible class. You have to do that to learn it. But the application of letting it reach down inside your soul and transform your thinking. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now we've studied the word heart. It's the word lave in the Hebrew. It's cardia uh, in the Greek. Looks like this. And it refers to that innermost part of the thinking in the soul. So this is not talking about emotion. This is talking about thought. That your thinking is going to be dominated by this relationship with God. On these words and with doctrine, these words which I am commanding you today, these words which is Bible doctrine, shall be on your heart. You're constantly going to be thinking doctrine. Constantly. You're going to let doctrine influence every opinion you have. Every, but to do that, you have to know what doctrine says about whatever it is you have an opinion on. Everything from, from economics to politics to law to uh, philosophy, everything has to come under the authority of God's Word. So these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your mind, that is in your thinking, and you shall teach them diligently. Now take a minute to look at that. It's a good translation in the English. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. That's the first command here. 
So, parents, this is your responsibility to learn doctrine, let it constantly transform every category of thinking in your mind, and then you take that, and your responsibility is to teach that to your kids. You need to be reading them Bible stories at night, not Grimm's fairy tales or what Three Bears or whatever else it may be. You need to be reading your kids' Bible stories so they learn who the figure... If they're, if they're small children, they need to learn who these people are. They need to learn who Joseph is and who David is, and they begin to learn the events in their lives. And then as you talk about them, look at the next stage. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Now, this is not talking about having a morning family devotion. This is talking about the fact that when you're sitting around, instead of talking about football, instead of talking about soccer or baseball, you're going to talk about doctrine in the normal course of life. You're going to talk about the fact that how doctrine impacts whatever it is they're engaged in so that they can learn to think about whatever they're doing in life biblically. They're not going to learn it from anybody else. Their Sunday school teacher can't do this for them. It is your responsibility as a parent to do this. You are providing them that radar screen so that as they grow up, they're going to develop discernment to think about life biblically. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, these are two groups of two things and it's called it's a figure of speech called a merism. And a merism means like if, if you're speaking and you talk about the heavens and the earth, you're talking about two extremes. So when you say the heavens and the earth, you're talking about the entire universe. If you talk about day and night, you're talking about the continual sphere of life, the, the entire time frame of the day, day and night, all the time. That's your figure of speech for saying all the time. If you're talking about um, like light and darkness, it includes the entire panorama. You talk, a merism talks about both extremes and it means the totality. So when you're talking about whether you're sitting or whether you're walking, what else is there? All the time you're going to be talking about that. That's the point that Moses is making. And then he says, when you lie down and when you rise up. All the time. So you put these four things together. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you're going to school in the morning, taking them down to the bus, walking them down to the bus when you're picking them up after school, when you're taking them to soccer practice, taking them to baseball practice, when they're just sitting around the house watching TV, you can watch a movie, you can say, okay, now let's talk about this movie. What are the values here? What's the ultimate view of reality presented in this movie? What does the Bible say? Constantly forcing them to think. You need to be constantly forcing yourself to think about this. This is the role that God said that parents had in order to teach the next generation and to protect the next generation in the midst of this pagan environment in the Canaanite culture. And the same thing is true for us. Our culture is not much better than the culture they were in. And if you want to protect your children from the influences of Satan's propaganda, then you're the one who's responsible. And that means you better learn what that world system is, and you better learn what doctrine says. That's the most important thing. Listen to some of the things that are said in the Proverbs. Proverbs 22.15 says, 
And I want to pay attention to the first part of the verse, not so much the second part. Foolishness is bound up in the heart, that's in the mind of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from it. Now, in the context, we're talking about the fact that, that in this foolishness, the child needs to be disciplined, corporal discipline. That's why God made the soft rear end of a child, is that corporal discipline is not abuse, no matter what the liberals in this country want to say. You have to teach values, teach discipline, control the sin nature in a child. There's other passages like that. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you beat him with the rod, he will not die. Now, that's not talking about abuse there. We have to qualify that. That is honest, objective discipline from the parent that if you spank him on his rear end, he's not going to die. It's true. You will discover it will hurt you more than it will hurt him. But if you don't do it, what you're going to reap when they hit puberty is just going to be hellacious. Now, that doesn't mean that just because you do that, it will guarantee that their volition will always be correct and you won't have some problems when they hit puberty. That happens too. You know, perfect parents can still have kids who exercise their volition in the wrong way. But this is the divine mandate here. Now, foolishness is bound up in the thinking of a child. His sin nature has a natural affinity to cosmic thinking. And it's your job to change that, to teach him wisdom, not foolishness. In the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 14.26 says, In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence. Now, let's put that together with passages like I think it's Proverbs 1.2. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it's your job as a parent to teach wisdom, divine viewpoint thinking to your children. Because in the fear of the Lord, that is, in divine viewpoint wisdom, there is strong confidence. And in this, children will have refuge. Proverbs 6.23 For the commandment, that is, the word of God, doctrine, is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. So it is the job of parents to teach the children. Now, point number six, that was all, I think, let me see where, where I am in terms of points. Point number one, believers are living in the enemy's world. Point number two, Satan has initiated a vast number of thought systems to control man's thinking, to propagandize the world. Point three, cosmic thinking in two categories. Point four, from the vantage point of these systems, Satan seeks to control the thinking of the human race. And point five was a... Uh, the emphasis on um, the postmodern thinking, the way of presenting problem solving, everything, all the science fiction, everything has its own uh, world view that it is propagandizing children with. Point number six was how the Israelites handled culture, and point number seven is the danger of gradualism. This is the old frog in the pot illustration probably heard this before, a frog is a cold-blooded creature. So his body temperature is constantly adjusting to his environment. So you put a frog in a pot of cold water, and then you turn the burner on low. And the water in the pot is going to increase its temperature gradually. And the frog will adjust his body temperature gradually to the temperature of the water. Eventually, the water temperature gets to a fatal point. By then, the frog is anesthetized and he boils to death. Now, if you put that frog in hot water, he'll jump out. 
But if you gradually increase the temperature, he adjusts to it until all of a sudden he doesn't realize he's in a dangerous area. That's what happens to many believers. Is we, we don't put our filters out there, our divine viewpoint filters. We don't put, look on the radar screen to see where the blips are. And we're constantly being hit, impacted by the propaganda of Satan. And we don't exercise discernment. And it changes the way we think about reality. And you look across the church one day and you say, well, where's so-and-so? And you find out, well, they're in drugs and they're living with so-and-so and they've given up on Christianity. It's gradualism. And this is what happens with our kids. They don't know enough about discernment if they're not taught. And they get this over and over and over again through all kinds of entertainment, toys, movies, television, whatever it may be. Again, I'm not saying you know, to do away with all of this. But you have to, you as a parent, have to exercise discernment. That's this point number seven. The role of the parents is to teach a framework of doctrine to their children. You can't let your children grow up to think that the world, to, to think like the world, um, to think like the world thinks. I didn't punctuate my notes correctly. You can't let your children grow up to think like the world thinks. You have to offer that protection. Now, this means three things. First of all, it means that you need to learn the Bible. You need to learn the Bible. Cold. You need to learn to think biblically. That is going beyond just the events of the Bible. You need to learn to think biblically, or one day you're going to wake up and look at your kids and you're not going to know what hit you. Just a little caveat there. That doesn't mean there's a guarantee. I know many people who grew up in Christian homes where the parents did a lot and the kids just rebelled in negative volition. But I'll tell you one thing. If you don't do it, your kids will just be little hillions when they hit puberty and you really won't know what happened. The second thing you need to do is that you need to learn and study the things that you allow to come into your kid's environment as much as possible. You need to find out what's going on. You need to know uh, about the movies. You need to be there to act as that policeman for them all the way up until they're out of the house. Now, obviously, your overriding presence is going to be much more obvious when they're a year old, two years old, and three years old than when they're 16, 17, and 18. Hopefully, if you do the job right when, you're young, when they're young, as the Scripture says, train up a child in the way he will go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Even if he goes through a period of rebellion, if you have done your job correctly as a parent, even though they go through a period of negative volition, then when they are older... That has what been what has been ingrained in their thinking. So you need to be looking at these things and asking questions like, what kind of worldview do these things promote? What kind of worldview is present in Star Wars, in Star Trek, in uh, Pokemon, and whatever it is that these kids are getting into? What is there? You need to um, uh, find out what the value systems are. You need to find out what kind of what the ultimate view of reality that is being presented is. You need to find out what kind of ethics or value system is there. For example, uh, I'll give you an example of this. You need to... Um, we did this a couple of weeks ago when we looked at postmodernism. You need to develop a grid, and this is good. Some of you, whether you have kids or not, every one of you need, needs to do this. You need to develop a little grid here. 
So we're going to put our categories up here. We're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about man, values, history, power, and problem solving. Now you're going to look at whatever this is, whether it's a Star Wars epic or Star Trek or He-Man or whatever the latest is. I don't have kids, so I don't always know what the latest little toy or cartoon or whatever is happening and, and it's pressuring your kids, but you do. And you need to look at these things. And what is the ultimate view of reality that is being presented in this format? What are they being taught covertly through whatever this is? Is, is the ultimate view of reality something that is personal or impersonal? Is it a personal God? Is it many gods? Is it uh, just some force, some impersonal force like in Star Wars that has both a good side and a bad side? That's, that's the monism from Eastern thinking. You see the symbol, it looks something like this. It's a circle, and then there's a squiggly line through it like this, the yin-yang. See, the circle represents that ultimately all reality is one, even though there's going to be a dark side and a light side. This is the dark side of the force and the light side of the force, but ultimately what controls George Lucas's universe is the force. And you have to align yourself with this impersonal force. And that's nothing but Hinduism. And so there are these religious connotations there. What is the view of man that is presented here? Is, is man an individual thinking creature in the image of God? Uh, is man the source of truth? Is man the source of his own, own happiness? Can man solve his own problems? Or is man dependent upon some other creature for solving his own problems? For example, uh, you get these, is he dependent upon some kind of supernatural creature to come to his aid in order to help him solve problems? And just because it's a good supernatural creature don't make the mistake of thinking that somehow is related to Christianity. I remember the idiots, absolute idiots, that came up and I saw a book called uh, Jesus Christ and the Force. And it was trying, when, when Star Wars first came out in the late 70s, trying to identify Christianity with the Force. And it just showed the absolute ignorance of the person who wrote it. But there were so many Christians when it first came out, they were trying to make the Force Christian. And see, we constantly try to baptize the world's thinking in order to absorb it so we're not running in conflict. Because that's hard for us. It's hard for you as parents to try to teach your kids that they shouldn't do this and they shouldn't do that and to be careful of this and be careful of that because we want to be accepted. We don't want to be thought of as weird or reactionary or fundamentalist or ignorant. And, you know, the world wants to paint people like, like that in all kinds of dark colors as, as you're too narrow-minded and you want to be open-minded. And we don't like to be thought of like that, so, so we, it makes us uncomfortable. But we have to think, and you have to teach your kids to think. Uh, man, is man the source of truth? Man the source of happiness? What exactly, how is man presented in this? Values. You need to ask, what are, what's the source of values? Does man generate his own values? What are the values? What's the role of emotion? For example, in the last Star Wars movie that just came out, there's this one line in there where the little boy who's going to grow up to be Darth Vader uh, is getting ready to go into his first battle with his, his uh, starfighter. And he says, don't think. This is what he's told. Don't think. Just feel. Don't think. 
just feels. That's crucial. That's a crucial line in the in a whole hour movie. That's the thing that ought to punch you right between the eyes because that's the message. Don't think, just feel. And when you study postmodernism and you see the nuances of the postmodern culture that we have, that's where we are. That's like the president. I mean, that's like the president of Eastern Connecticut State University talking to teachers, saying it's not about content; it's about emotion. See, that's where our culture is. So you have to look at it. Well, what kind of values and what's the source of values? Is it inside the person? Are there absolute values or just relative values? Are the values what they are just because at that given moment in history the majority seems to think that's right, but next year it'll be something else? History. Where is history going? Problem solving. How do they solve problems? How does man solve the problems, the challenges, the obstacles in their life? When you have these kids running around, are they looking to some kind of little supernatural figure to give them power to overcome the challenges and obstacles that they're facing? See, that prepares them to think in terms of occult power and demonism. And you have to look at other questions like what will solve society's problems? How are they defining society's problems? What will solve them? Who are the bad guys? For example, there was one cartoon I saw that had to do with a gang of people that went around solving environmental problems. And so the bad guys... Well, anybody who caused damage to the environment, well, there's a horrible message there. The corporations are bad, business is bad, capitalism is bad, and this is all contradictory to the Scriptures. And yet, you know, you see little kids sit down, and they watch these shows, and they are just have their mouth hanging open, and they're just sucking in all this human viewpoint stuff by osmosis all the way through the show. So you have to be careful of these things and ask these kinds of questions. And you ought to ask them, too, whenever you go to certain, you know, go to movies or watch the news or read a book. You need to learn to think critically and develop these critical thinking skills. And whether you're talking about anything from Power Rangers to Pokemon or Star Wars to Star Trek, you need to develop these thinking skills in your kids. Now, I've just become aware of Pokemon. Somebody in the church gave me a little evaluation. I never heard of this thing before. Of course, I don't have little kids. But there is a whole scenario behind Pokemon that is dangerous. Now, if you don't know what they are, some of you don't have kids, these are these little figures that kids are collecting now, and they trade them like, like baseball cards. And most parents think, well, this is just like, well, when I was a kid, we traded baseball cards, or we traded this card or that card, and there's nothing harmful there. They're called, Pokemon is short for pocket monster. And there's about 150 different kinds of pocket monsters, and you're supposed, the scenario is you catch them or capture them, and they enable you, they give you power to solve, overcome obstacles and solve problems in life. Well, it's developed by the Japanese, and there's another level. There's a global game that's been developed in the 90s called Magic the Gathering. And Magic the Gathering is to the 1990s what Dungeons and Dragons was to the 1980s. And these are one of these role-playing games, and there's also a series of cards that you can pass out and collect and trade related to Magic the Gathering. That's for little older kids. Well, what is it that prepares the younger kids to go into the older, the, 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 the magic, the gathering when they get older. It's Pokemon. So it fits into a strategy. And uh, teachers talk about the fact that when they go to school, these kids are so busy trading their Pokemon cards that they, uh, they, they, they cause a discipline problem in school. They're distracted. They don't care about math. They want to trade their cards. So uh, it's a big distraction. So you need to be careful of these things. And uh, according to information out there, 
um, one of the people says that uh, uh, this is um, the message of the... Uh, let me see here. Welcome to the world of Pokemon. It's a special place where people just like you train to become the number one Pokemon master in the world. So the idea is you can control these little creatures, which I think kind of remind me of demons. Uh, what, but what is a Pokemon, you ask? Pokemon are incredible creatures that share the world with humans, says Professor Oak, the leading authority on these monsters. There are currently 150 documented species of Pokemon. Each Pokemon has its own special fighting abilities. Some grow or evolve into even more powerful creatures. Carry your Pokemon with you and you're ready for anything. You've got the power in your hands, so use it. So you see, it buys into this whole metaphysical view of, a, of an alternate universe, like Star Wars and Star Trek. It's the recreation of another universe with its own metaphysic, its own view of origins, its own view of the spirit world, and that people can control these things for their own benefit and their own value. It's the same kind of thing that, if you remember, what was it, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. They're looking for these magic rocks, these magic stones that had been stolen out of a village. And uh, when they find them, the evil people are using them for evil, but then at the end, Indiana Jones captures one and he can use it for his good. It can be used for good or evil, and we see that, that Indiana Jones thinks that these people think they can master these spiritual powers because they're inherently good. And, and you know, the thing is that it's not like one of these things is wrong. I loved all those Indiana Jones movies. But you have to realize there are, there's a message there that reflects the overall thought of our culture, which is cosmic thinking. And so you have to erect these grids for yourself and for your kids so that you know what's going on and can protect them. There is a battle going on. It's called spiritual warfare. It's called the angelic conflict. And your mind is the battlefield. And the issue is what are you putting into your mind the issue is, what are you putting into your kids' minds? And what ought to be there to protect them from these influences is Bible doctrine. And that's the whole point of James, is that what's there makes a difference. The wisdom that is from below is earthly, demonic, and natural, and it promotes, uh, it promotes all sorts of division, jealousy, ambition, and arrogance. Whereas the wisdom from the Scripture promotes... what characteristics of Christ and the fruit of righteousness. That's the whole scenario. So next time, we're out of time already, next time we'll get into uh, James chapter 4. But in light of some of these things, and I understand there's a new movie out called Iron Giant, which uh, has a lot of problems with it. You have a giant, this iron giant who goes around helping everybody, and then the bad guy kills him and takes him apart, dismantles him, and his pe the parts are scattered everywhere and then he regenerates himself, and he brings all his parts come back together. It's a resurrection motif. You see, Satan is constantly putting out these things, and this is, the cosmic system is constantly putting out these things, and what it does is, is that you watch these things over and over again, and it desensitizes, the kids don't know any better, and it desensitizes, and then they come to Sunday school and they hear Jesus rose from the dead. Well, that's no big deal, Iron Giant did that. I'm not saying that these things are wrong or sinful or that sort of thing, but you have to be careful what these messages are that are being promoted here 
in these various shows and television shows and games and everything, if I were a parent today, I wouldn't let my kids get involved in a lot of this stuff, even go to it. Some things I would, but before I did, I would go watch the movie myself. I would come and make a game out of it, try to teach them this grid. What is this thing going to say about ultimate reality, problem solving, whatever? And then you, you, when the kid, when you take your child, you've got specific questions you've given them to ask and answer while they're watching the movie. And you're teaching them to think critically when they watch a movie, when they read a book, when they read a newspaper article. What is the agenda of the author? What's the author? What's the writer's worldview? What are they trying to communicate here? Then you can enjoy it at a level of entertainment, but you're not just sitting there passively absorbing whatever it is that is being marketed through that particular medium. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you for the fact that we have your word. The scripture says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The psalmist said, In thy light we see light. That it's only when we have the framework of Bible doctrine that we're able to evaluate the things that are going on around us. Father, we pray that you would help us to think critically and to think biblically and to be aware of the fact that we are involved in an angelic conflict and spiritual warfare and the battle is for our minds. And we pray especially for our parents that you would give them wisdom and discernment in in raising their children and in teaching their children that they might be a godly influence fulfilling the mandates of Scripture to raise up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.